UX Podcast Episode 61. This is UX Podcast, balancing business technology news as every other Friday from Stockholm, Sweden. I'm James Roy Lawson. And I'm Pan Axbom. You see that? That was a new intro. Excellent. Yeah. Good job, James. Responding to customer... Customer? We're not getting customers. We're responding to listener feedback. Because ah. the intro's been too long, so we've been talking about changing it. So. Yeah, so we've been talking about that for a year. <laughs> we have. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, well, I think that works. Tells you what you need to know. Mm-hmm. Mm. Good stuff. Yeah. And today, we've got a guest. Yep. The grumpy innovator is here with us. Once again, we're sitting in a hotel lobby. We are. It's not open, really. Um, So it's quite lobby. Quite lobby. But uh, we're joined here by the grumpy innovator. Hello. Hello. Hello, Costas. Very nice to be here. Nice having you on the show. Very spontaneous. I think uh, James asked you just the other day if you well, you, you had a meetup. Exactly. I organized a meetup on Wednesday um, for um, digital optimizers and analysts here in Stockholm. Um, and Costas kindly um, said he'd speak at that um, because you're in town, or you are in town because you're speaking at a conference. We were speaking at a conference yesterday. Indeed. Yes. Yeah. So I, I jumped on the chance to, mm. to grab him for a mint up and also to ask him if he would, would um, join us for UX podcast today. Right. Very nice to be here. Mm. And uh, I realized this morning I have to be in hotel lobby. I brought the equipment and I realized, well, what do I know about this guy? <laughs> and I realized, <laughs> oh, I have to buy his book. And so I bought his book on the one click on Amazon and started reading it on the Kindle and I realized, Hey, this is just one-liners. <laughs> so that's well, the book. Well, there, there are some more profound thoughts in there as well. <laughs> but it is indeed. It's based yeah. on thoughts. It is. Yeah. But, it, but it, I mean, I had, that's, that's the most fun I've had on the tube ride uh, so far this year, actually. That's okay. Well, that's good to hear. Excellent content. Yeah, I did actually. La- I read <laughs> yeah. it on the, the tube this morning yeah. as well, and, and it gave me a few laughs. Yeah. But, um, um, but anyway, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. Um, what's that? Um, well, let's see. So I am, uh, well, where can I start? I am 40 years old. Same married, here. Two, kills, uh, two children. Same um, here. Go, are we twins? Yeah, yeah almost <laughs> twins. <indeed. laughs> I've, um, I have, uh, well, this will, many of your guests will say this, but I have one of the best jobs in the world, mm. of course. Yeah. I, I work in innovation. Um, I started uh, in this field, you could say, probably in 1996, the, uh, the day I graduated as an industrial design engineer. Um, spent the first couple of years, you could say, on the very tail end of mm. innovation, basically when stuff needs to get made. Mm. So I learned everything about the ugly reality of factories and uh, creating stuff that people can actually build and are, uh, say, willing to buy. Mm. Uh, having done sort of my, uh, my rounds in engineering and design, I moved on to strategic innovation. And uh, that uh, went really well, as in it turned out that I, well, I got lucky, met a few people with whom I could work um, and actually do some really good strategic work on how big companies should actually invest their money into new products. So that's what you mean when you say strategic innovation? Yes, exactly. You mean high-level management? Uh, exactly. I, I guess I, I move from the tail end of innovation more to, through the middle end onto yeah. the front end. Right. Um, and that's really all about um, understanding what consumer opportunities live mm. out there, mm. um, how to sort of match that up with the business capabilities of well, what are now our clients, um, and making sure that they too can actually, uh, well, make sense of that ugly reality out there, mm. ever-changing consumer needs, mm. and how do you actually turn those into business streams? Mm. What I what I really liked from your presentation on Wednesday, and also reading some of the quotes and things in the of the tweets, I guess in the um, in the book, is the, the down-to-earthness of mm-hmm. of what you talk about or complain about or or 
um, present about. Uh, that appeals to me because I love the, I love the practical side of yeah. what you're right, saying. Right, and it really hits you in the face the yeah. stuff that you're saying and doing, and really how you're making it seem more difficult than it really is, and you're thinking going about it wrong. And you, I mean, some of the things you're saying is you can innovate within the box. You can, and it's not about thinking about new fantastic futuristic stuff all the time. It's exactly, about exactly. reinventing what's already there and making things simpler. Yeah, and being first with realizing that something's pretty difficult and making it mainstream tomorrow. Yeah. Well, I guess it's also a reason we called our business Happen. <laughs> it mm-hmm. is all about making things happen. Right. Um, and um, I mean, you could see the the innovation journey really as risk management. Um, mm-hmm. At the very beginning, you have the you know you need to do something. Well, the highest level of risk, but also the lowest cost to do is just write a couple of ideas on the back of a napkin and say that's mm. it. Mm. Or you can say remove some risk by doing a little bit of research, putting a little more rigor in mm. understanding what your business capabilities are, how that mm. ties up with what real consumer needs are, not what you hope they are. Mm. Um, and by that, mm. you remove risk and actually you increase the chances of success. Mm. But it's it's not very difficult as long as you take your time <laughs> a little bit. Um, and do a bit of thinking along that journey. Mm. And, and be honest to yourself or to your organization. Uh, absolutely. Be- and I guess that's um, because if, even if you look across our business, uh, mm. say at Happen, most people have some kind of very, very um, say tangible experience uh, in their sort of mm. on their CV of actually getting stuff to market. And um, the, uh, well, let's say the graveyards out there are full of uh, very, very good ideas that actually had, uh, well, no chance of success ever, really, because they were just too far out or too far away from what companies right. were, could do, what consumers were willing to buy, mm-hmm. uh, even though on paper they, they looked amazing. Mm. Um, I guess the way we, we, we kind of try to sort of put that into a structure within our business is we talk about the innovation spectrum. So it's understanding that innovation by itself is actually a very, very big word. You can put that on a line from any, anywhere from, let's say, what do we call sweating assets, incremental innovation, all the way through to breakthrough. Mm. And on that line, you basically need then to make up your mind as in, am I going to innovate my product? Am I going to innovate my packaging, the route to market, services around it? Mm-hmm. There are all these different sort of little, let's say, nuggets within that. Mm. Um, and all you need to do is just be aware of them and talk about them. And then innovation all of a sudden becomes a lot easier. Yeah. <laughs> Making it tangible. And that is what really appeals to me about what you're writing in your book is how that fits into our world of the business of UX and mm-hmm. how important it is to actually understand the humans that are making your business a success. Yes. The people. And, and the way that people usually go about that wrong is actually ask them up front, so, so what do you want? Yeah. But I think a lot of it, <laughs> the work that goes into it is observing them and understanding their pains and pleasures yeah. and really drawing your conclusions from that and not from the, what they're actually telling you word by word. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I think you, on Wednesday, we mm-hmm. talked a bit about focus groups mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. And, and following on from your point. Uh, about, um, well, I hate focus leadership. groups, yeah. Yeah. personally. <laughs> I, I, I tweeted enjoy when yeah. it cost us um, oh, mid-little snide comment about them on Wednesday. Yeah. The, uh, so would you like to more, <laughs> no, no, more you about go, <laughs> yeah, go for it. <laughs> no, I mean, focus groups have their, have their role to play. And, um, the, and the problem is not necessarily with the people in the focus groups. Mm. I mean, if you just go out there and ask a few people to join in a focus group and you ask them questions about their product, then of course they won't care, they won't know, but they'll be there because they can earn a toaster or maybe right. make 20 bucks. Mm. Um, but the biggest problem is with the people, of course, asking the questions and actually the people behind the people asking the questions. Mm. Very often... Um, 
these people are not capable, it seems, of making any decision mm. without actually having the answer come out of mm. a consumer's mouth. Mm. And the right answer will never come out of a consumer's mouth. If you put all the answers and all the things they mm. say, all the observations, as you call them, Per, you put that together, then really as an outsider, and I don't mean us as an outside agency, mm. but let's say as the person observing, it's then up to you to make the connections. Create hypotheses mm. first. It's not about hearing a consumer or a user of any UX mm. system say, well, I think that, that button should be maybe a little bigger, for example, or a different place on screen, and then mm. saying, we should do something with that. No, it's listening to a whole stream probably of clues that show you, basically give you the bigger picture of what may mm. be wrong, what maybe really are the needs. Maybe there's something fundamentally wrong with the flaw, or with the flow of, the, of whatever mm. that UX is, um, is trying to bring people through. Um, particularly on the topic of UX, though, I have okay. This is mm. this is maybe this is not about you or anything, <laughs> but I have had experiences with UX designers yeah. who who went into that role from a graphic design point of view. Yeah, right. Um, that's sort of their background, and they were all about creating beautiful interfaces mm. and completely overlooking the fact that actually your user interface, with all respect, it's mm. just a barrier. It is the barrier between what your user is trying to do mm. and the user, him or herself. Yeah. And uh, really, UX should be about as removing as many mm. steps as possible for the simple reason yep. that otherwise they'll, you'll lose them along the way. Mm -hmm. And just imagine, if you have five steps from between what you're trying to achieve mm. and actually achieving mm. it, um, if you're in a professional, say, UX environment where you need to use that, mm. say, interface 55 times a day, mm. then one extra step is going to make a big difference over right. the course of like two or three years. You'll run people mm. into the ground, basically. Yeah. And um, but anyway, it's again you cannot really ask consumers or users what do you want, but you can ask them what's bugging you. Yeah. What are the things that are getting in your way? And mm -hmm. if you then start building a picture from that, again allowing yourself mm -hmm. to hypothesize and not just jump to a conclusion mm -hmm. faster than a speeding bullet, you'll uncover fantastic things to improve. Yeah, yeah. yeah and I, I couldn't agree more. It's all about removing obstacles uh, to achieve mm -hmm. some sort of goal. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes when we focus too much on the interface that is facing the user, yeah. uh, what I've experienced is that sometimes we even make it more usable than it has to be uh, because we haven't looked at how the organization itself is supposed to support the user in the end. And one example I usually bring up is recently we redesigned a service where people go online and one of the things they can do is ask a psychology department questions. Mm -hmm. And we made it really, really easy in a short period of time, meaning that the psychology department that was answering the question didn't have the resources to answer the questions. Mm -hmm. So there was, there was a worse experience. It was much easier to ask the questions, yeah. but they didn't get any, any answers. So the complete experience, of course, was worse. Yeah. So the yeah. flow wasn't... Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So the, yeah. the flow and the whole business context... Mm -hmm. Was was like there was a disconnect actually. Yeah, that's that's mm. a balance you're always looking yeah. for. There's a fantastic article mm. out there. I guess to all the listeners, maybe Google it right now. It's called "Rewarding A While Hoping for B," and ah, okay. um, it's just to make it raises awareness mm. on how actually you maybe without even knowing creating the wrong incentive and actually moving behavior into the wrong direction. Mm. Mm. Uh, because as you say, if you make it very easy for people to do some things, well, people operate like water running downhill. Yeah. They go wherever yes. the yeah. friction is lowest. Yeah. Yeah. So they'll just do more of that. Mm. It's like, um, actually, we at some point, mm. we, uh, we got a uh, travel agency involved for our agency because people in our teams travel a lot. Mm. All of a sudden, it became really, really easy to book travel. Well, <laughs> guess what? People were traveling even more. Um, whereas actually we were trying to sort of keep costs down and yeah, people right. make people mm. more aware of mm. the travel. And anyway, um, 
it's it's simple things. Oh, but that's really that's interesting, that's though, because sometimes example. that we talk we talk about the dark patterns of UX, yeah. but sometimes you have to make it more difficult if that's what yeah. you're trying to balance out. Exactly. It's yeah. a, well, it's <laughs> yes, it's a very manipulative business, of course. Yeah, <laughs> um, no, but, it's, but it's true, though. Yeah, if you've, if you've got a certain particular. Well, it's it's, a, it's an entire journey. It is, of course, um, and and you've got to make sure that the entire journey works. Mm-hmm. And if you make one aspect of it too optimized, but without concentrating on the rest of it, then you're going to end up with all consequences, whether it's brand damage or yeah. know, unhappy customers, or just that they don't do what they mm-hmm. need to do. Yeah. But what are some of your favorite research methods then? Favorite research methods. Mm-hmm. Um, Depends on what you mean by research. I mean, I know nah. that's the oh, answer. No, answer, answer that first. That's it, all no, it all depends. It all depends. It depends. It depends on what I'm researching. So if you're if you're um, looking for, it depends on where on that innovation spectrum you are. Mm-hmm. That's step one. So uh, because you need to inv- you need to research different things. I think there are three main um, uh, facets to that. One is consumer research, mm. which is of course where everyone thinks first. Mm-hmm. The second is also technology research. Yeah. And then there is the third one, which is, let's say, business operations, business capabilities type of research. Yeah. So really, how are you organized as a business? Mm. Um, then depending on whether you're looking just at incremental innovation or just making small tweaks versus breakthrough, I mean, that that's mm. requires very, very different input. Mm. So maybe just thinking out loud and quickly, um, consumer research on the incremental side of things, that's probably much more looking at what are the current behaviors in and around the products you're currently say, using or making, I should say. Um, and then that probably takes you down the route of very, very simple things like home visits or actually in the case of UX, joining people behind screens or just watching them operate. Mm-hmm. Um, from a technology point of view, well, let's be honest, that's not going to require anything dramatic probably on the incremental side of innovation and business neither because you're probably still well in your operational process or your primary process. Right. If you look at breakthrough or let's say the more ambitious type of innovation, then something different happens. And you look at consumer research, then it becomes all about finding the few lead users, for example, of your product. And actually, yesterday at the conference, there was a gentleman talking about the ones, the nines, and the nineties. Oh, yeah, there's a yes, uh, yes, ah, exactly. yeah, I've heard so, that talk. Yes, but yes, but who we've interviewed on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Exactly, he's, he's a good friend of ours. Yeah, so it was. It's been in that line. So, and again, my world is that of fast-moving consumer goods, and you can almost guarantee that any category you think of, whether it's a coffee or um, furniture or f- mm. toilet paper, for all I care, there will always be 5 to 10% of people buying that product mm. who are yeah. more engaged with it. They just have an opinion. They're frustrated by it. Yeah. So they're not loyal users in any way. They shop around because mm. they're just looking for the best of the best all the time. Mm. So those would be the people you would talk to. But you would also do a little bit of thinking of, okay, this breakthrough innovation I'm trying to get through to, well, breakthrough means I'm actually breaking through a barrier of some mm. kind. So what barrier am I actually running into? Is mm. it a particular usage barrier or is it, what, what is it? And then basically find industries, categories that have actually already made that leap. Because um, any problem you think of will have been solved by someone at some point in time. So if you, for example, look ah. on, on a big, big category level where mm. the, the, let's say, alcoholic mm. beverages industry is now going with increasing regulations, etc., mm. they're basically going right after where tobacco has already gone 10 years ago. Mm. Now, it probably won't get as bad, but a lot of the things they experienced in sort of making that transition is basically you can just copy-paste. So what you would do yeah. is you would talk to <laughs> avid consumers of those categories just to see what's going on. But you also talk to professionals. Mm. And you basically get a lot of insp- exp- say inspiration for mm. that, say, research pit on the mm. consumer side. Technology, it's a similar story. There are technical solutions mm. to just about every problem you can think of. Mm. They just may not be in the category mm. you're in. You can even go down into patent searching, mm. looking for patents that were, say, registered for one category because they solve a particular problem, right. and they may be entirely usable for your own. 
business, same mm. story. Then it becomes more about what capabilities do I now lack? What are the big holes in what I can do mm. to actually deliver on, say, breaking that barrier? So to take your psychologist's example, mm. psychiatrist, um, need to get onto the phone. Um, that's a big gap, even though you've actually made a small breakthrough already in exactly. the, uh, at the front end. And right. uh, if you synchronize those, then mm. people won't get stressed. Mm. <laughs> um, whereas maybe in this mm. case, or the case you ex- explained, they were a bit stressful. Um, yeah. Mm. And it wasn't actually working mm. as as planned. And I think you're touching on something else there that so many times I see people overlook it. When they're building a new website, they have tons of competitors out there that mm-hmm. also have websites. Yeah. Why not go out and usability test the competitors' websites yeah. Yeah. and learn about what they're doing right and wrong yeah. and learn from that? Steal with pride. Exactly. And, um, the, mm. One of our clients has a term which they call ready-to-go innovation. Mm. Mm. That's just a nice way of saying, mm. well, <laughs> we have the problem. Someone else invented it. Let's either just buy it or copy it. Mm. And um, it just works. It saves time and mm. it saves you from making the mistakes other people right. have made. Yeah. So, so mm. breakthrough, breakthrough innovation mm. is innovating someone else's innovation? Uh, that's a bit of a metaphysical <laughs> statement. To, uh, uh, no, but you are maybe, it could well be, I mean, it would be, let's put it this way, it would be very, very surprising if a breakthrough innovation isn't actually something someone else has yeah. already come up with. I mean, yeah. just about every idea um, is, a, is a inspired by something mm. else. Yeah. There are very, very few genuinely. Yeah. I think that's, that's a good point, and it's something that we've become acutely aware of yeah. in, in the internet years, the, yeah. you know, especially social media years mm. now, um, last few years, that whenever you say something or think of something, mm. you know, it's always someone says, oh, well, you know, here's the article I found about that yeah. last year, or yeah. well, did you see so-and-so wrote, wrote mm. about that or said about it or thought mm. about yeah. it? It's, everything's already been done. Yeah. And it's fascinating that it is <laughs> true. It, everything's already been but done. But it does require sort of letting your ego sort yeah. of go. True. And uh, because just imagine like all the changes now inside online, particularly just mm. thinking of the, the, the world of websites mm. um, and e-commerce, mm. banking is completely going where, say, the travel industry went five years ago. Well, mm. why not? They're probably hiring like crazy from that industry. Because why go invent it from scratch if you mm. can sort of get those, say, service package deals mm. sold through systems that already work? But the banking, that's, a, that's a, also another good example of, of being honest to yourself and, and letting mm. go, is that banking still hasn't really accepted I think, where they're going. No, and again, if you look... Uh, okay, so that's uh, chapter number four in my book. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 the problem with any mm. industry that needs to sort of do some kind mm. of really dramatic change mm. is the whole system will be organized so to, to prevent it, basically, yeah. because these are usually highly streamlined mm. operations in very, very mature markets. Mm. Uh, they've, they're basically making very, very low margin, probably, in comparison. So they, making a change is a big, big risk. Mm. Um, and, uh, well, we all know the example of Kodak, but there are like gazillions of others uh, who yeah. have gone down exactly the same route. It was just too much of a risk mm. to kill their darlings, to kill yeah. their cash cows, mm. and to, say, invest in a new technology, because mm. that new technology will be nowhere near as efficient. Your operations around it will be nowhere near as efficient. Yeah. You mm. will be making less money. Now, you need mm. to be a really, really brave, let's say, CEO or business leader mm. to say, okay... We're making a 5% profit now, <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, we're actually going to make no profit for the next two years mm-hmm. while we op- optimize this mm-hmm. new technology. But we know five years mm-hmm. from now, we'll be making 10% mm-hmm. uh, because it has more capability or the right. more potential. And that's, uh, these S-curves, they tend to be drawn as if they, say, connect in mm-hmm. between. But actually, every next S-curve drops down quite dramatically. The starting point is always much lower than where you left That's off. That's really interesting. Oh, yes. yeah. And of course, yeah, the, with the banks, a lot of them have been f- mm. basically following the same mm. well, business mm. pr- 
processing pattern for over 100 mm. years, mm-hmm. the established ones. I mean, yeah. It hasn't really changed mm. since no, the 1800s. And, and you could wonder if, uh, say, some of these will indeed disappear. Yeah. Um, because there are... I mean, one of the things I realize, even just looking at our own business, um, because we, we founded ourselves a year before the credit crunch. Now, that mm. was a different time. It was 2007. Yeah. Okay. And um, so it was also much less scary to start a new business. And... Um, Right about the time that we thought, well, maybe we need to get some financing in to basically fund our growth. The financing vanished. Financing vanished. Mm. Um, have we not grown? No. We've grown fantastically. Mm. We started at a kitchen table between mm. the four of us, and there are now 70 of us. Yeah. Um, and in a way, we're a much healthier business than we would ever have been because we've funded our growth through our own cash flow. Yeah. Um, and we cannot be unique in that. I think most businesses, uh, say like ours, have find, found ways to, to make it work. Yeah. And actually, are less dependent of credit and mm. uh, and the banking, uh, say industry. So maybe the effects are still not dramatically noticeable to the banks because, again, in comparison to say, uh, let's say, McKinsey, we're a tiny little agency mm. um, at seventy people. But um, let's say ten years from now, the big wave of companies like ours uh, will have become bigger and more mm. influential. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, there's a big income stream which has disappeared. It just no longer exists. It's vanished into the past, you could say. Right. Um, and then banks will change with it or mm. just go away. Yeah. Um, right. And we, the, we talk- the big companies will become the banks and helping smaller companies exactly. get started. Yeah, yeah. I heard yeah. of uh, startup um, incubators mm. yeah. and so on. Yeah. yeah, speaking of innovations, a while ago I heard of an f- amazing service um, which may- basically made use of the fact that big, let's say, the big companies hiring the small companies usually have money sloshing around mm. versus always short on cash. Um, and nevertheless, there are these payment terms sitting in between of often like 30, 60, 90 days. Mm. So what if you just turn those payment terms into zero days, but with an interest rate? Then you probably have a lot of room still to play with because that interest rate you need to charge to make more money than the big ones would ever make on the say investing it yeah. is probably going to be lower I'm saying this the right way around but anyway it's a, yeah. th- there's a business model hidden in there mm. to move cash not from banks to business but in between Bus- business because business. there's always mm-hmm. cash flossing mm-hmm. around mm-hmm. somewhere um, you're right that's the kind of that's like a shadow it is a shadow fun- or banking system is, yeah. the, is the payment terms mm. uh, and you could say who's mm. going to create that is that going to be a bank no probably not it's probably going to be a business like SAP or some kind of financial say mm. Uh, mm. Uh, management software yeah yeah, well, sort of like Amazon reinvented and made us all go over to using their services just for ev- everything and storing our content there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Amazon has yeah. become the roots underneath yeah. uh, pretty much everything. Yeah, without even realizing it. Wow, <laughs> this got me thinking. <laughs> oh no! Think out loud, then. Uh, don't think inside your head. We're recording. <laughs> Well, while you're thinking, maybe just the two things from the conference yesterday, which... Uh, which this were is outfox, outfox your competition. Yes, was it was. Uh, and again, it was fantastic to sit mm. in, in between these e-commerce people, professionals, mm. Right. Mm. Uh, for many reasons. Actually, one, I realized I was the only one on a PC and not on an Apple. Yeah, uh, I get that uh, feeling sometimes, too. <laughs> yeah, I it saw was, that tweet from you. <laughs> yeah. I, was just, is, I thought I was walking into a room full of geeks, and they were like the opposite of geeks. I mean, um, <laughs> they were slaves of Mr. Jobs. Um, <laughs> may he rest in peace. Uh no, but a couple of things which which struck me. One was um, the big difference in the the way you have access to data compared to what many of my clients, our mm. clients who work in fast mm. moving, uh, have is you actually have access to real observations. Mm. What you the mm. the data you draw in is what people have actually done. Mm. Whereas the, the inf- most of the information, really, m- and by far, you could say the majority of the information that. Um, 
the market research agencies work with is actually second-hand, third-hand information. Mm. It's people saying what they think they would do, which, of course, is never anywhere near the truth. And in a way, you have a step ahead on sort of how you can draw, in for, draw insight from that. Mm. Um, the handicap you have is you have so much data. Mm. Yep. Um, it is literally... Yeah, forest and trees things. Yeah, yeah, it's a haystack. You can mm. find any needle you want in. Mm. And how do you sort of find the bits that actually are worthwhile pursuing? Mm. Um, yeah, because we, we talked about that on Wednesday evening. That yeah. um, with, um, um, When you're optimizing, I mean, you, you, you hunt through the data to find mm. um, opportunities. Yeah. Um, and you had a slide where it's, uh, you, you circulate, you start by basically turning left or right and yeah, kind of exactly. circling round to eventually exactly. find your opportunity. Whereas what often happens with, with data-based or digital um, optimization is that you have that you know, big map. picture, massive yeah. map of the world, and then mm. you hunt for that needle and you yeah. find that opportunity straight away. Yeah. Um, and circling towards the opportunity, indeed, instead of trying to understand what the whole say, mountain of data means, mm. it's making the simple decisions along the road. It's, it's like using a compass. Mm. But what it requires is judgment. Mm. And uh, that's the scary thing. Because, I mean, again, my experience, people who are wor- used to working with data a lot, they're also kind of in this mindset that the data will actually tell them where to yeah. go. No, the data won't. Mm. It's you telling yourself where to go based mm. on, it could even be just intuition. And mm. intuition comes from somewhere. Right. Do I go left or right? Do I yeah. go up or down? Do mm. I, women or men? Um, mm. I'm reading an excellent book called The Hour Between Dog and Wolf, yeah. uh, which is all about how stock traders make decisions. And mm-hmm. speaking of intuition, they've realized that some people are actually good at trading stocks that are yeah. better than the computers and the dart-throwing monkeys and stuff. Yeah. And, <laughs> and it is based on something. Yeah, <laughs> It is. Yeah. Uh, so there, that, that's actually something you can train, uh, that yeah. intuition about what's, what's going we, to work um, and not. Mm. We've done a couple mm. of sessions mm. recently. Uh, it's actually really energizing also for us say, mm. uh, as uh, an agency mm. um, with our favorite clients. Well, favorite between brackets. Um, we love them all, of course. <laughs> but there are some... All the ones up <laughs> here. <laughs> no, but <laughs> actually a couple from, uh, from the Arla team uh, up here oh. in, uh, in the Nordic area. Uh, no, but I guess what, um, what that was about was we, we had a hunch that uh, the people who are really successful... Oh, I'm, there's a picture me made, uh, guys. Um, do I need Sorry. to smile? Yes. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Um, what we found was uh, that people who are really successful at bringing stuff all the way through to shelf, which is the term we would use mm. as moving consumer goods, so from opportunity to a product on shelf, right. um, they all had something in common. And uh, what we realized is they, they're actually a lot like entrepreneurs, uh, but they work within the, the ecosystem of whatever mm. corporate environment they're in. And they're very entrepreneurial. And the, the, the characteristics they have, it's mm. kind of what, what triggered this thought, is well, one, they're actually quite patient. They're not like the, the Richard Bransons and the loud sort of uh, entrepreneurial mm. uh, they waffles. Mm. No, they're, in, they're patient, they're quiet, they observe really well. Okay. Um, and then they recognize luck. That's the sort of their second mm. real, real sort of characters. They all know what luck looks like, mm. what an opportunity looks like when it sort of waves through the organization and they need to hop on. Mm. The third one is they know they're right, <laughs> which is a really funny sort of attribute to have as a person but some people just know they're right on some things they know they're right they just they don't know exactly how to explain it because they don't have like a big piece of research or they can't pinpoint exactly um say what what the nugget of the opportunity is but they say in their minds they've brought together all these different say elements that just say okay i know this is going to happen this is what uh, what the truth is and And the fourth one sorry just to finish fourth one is they have the experience in the category that actually enables 
them to be the other three. Mm. So these are not people who've sort of walked into a particular brand or category team um, and spent six months there and know how it works. No, because mm. after that short time, amount of time, you don't really, and you do rely much more on things like consumer research, like panels telling you things. Mm. Whereas if you've spent like four or five or six years in a particular category, you can actually mm. develop an intuition. Mm. You develop judgment. Mm. And that takes a while. Um, that was a, so that yeah. number four was actually an answer to my question about number three. So I was yeah. say, well, how, how do they avoid, avoid um, false confidence? Mm. If, if they there will know also they're be right. False, there will always um, be false confidence. I mean, yeah. uh, the, again, if you look at any successful product, for every successful product, there are t- probably nine failures. Mm. And uh, for every successful, say, person... They're say putting all their cash into a particular idea and making it a, making it a success. There are nine people who lose their homes mm. um, because the yeah. characteristics of successful entrepreneurs and failures are more or less the same. Mm. Uh, but how do you how do you prevent false confidence? Mm. Well, you could say there are well there are a few simple tricks. One is if you are wrong, make sure you find out really quickly, mm. <laughs> and then can sort of turn mm. turn the ship around and go somewhere else. And that's mm. kind of where that sort of navigating your way to a solution comes from rather than trying to create a map. Because if you're just making the simple sort of decisions along the journey, if you find that you've gone down the wrong path, you only need to step back one or two steps and not all the way to the beginning if you've been focusing on the wrong area from right. from the start. That's right. the whole um, fail yeah. fast. Fail fast. Mm. Yeah. Thinking. Mm. Yeah. Which I read something the other day about oh, fail slowly was actually better. <laughs> well, but I, I think I think it depends on the level we're talking there, about. There's always semantics. Uh, there that, is, yeah. 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 Just well, like you say, the failing fast, uh, not so you don't have to back up all the way to the beginning is, is no, well, really healthy. If you fail slowly, that is also a ch- <laughs> say a way of doing it. <laughs> Quite a few Japanese <laughs> companies who do it that way. No, but what you do because there's, so there's a second <laughs> sentence to that. <laughs> it is um, you fail slowly, but you keep your options open. Mm. So if you have, mm. let's say, two pieces of technology, for example, and you simply cannot choose. With men make a sound mm. decision, mm. you just keep both options mm. open and you continue developing them both until you can actually distinguish the two. Mm. That's failing slowly, but mm. that's not. It's also a very expensive. Yeah, because you'd fail it. faster if you did one of them and at the back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. And that's yeah. maybe the difference between a, I dare say, a Western and a more Eastern approach. Western mm. approach is Excellent. all about deadlines and getting stuff done, making mm. decisions as quickly as you can. Mm. Uh, whereas you could say, and this is a gross generalization, <laughs> in the East, it's more about mm. let's not decide if we don't need to. Do we need to decide here? Then let's not. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> um, that sounds almost Swedish. Kind of <laughs> yeah. Avoiding decisions. <laughs> oh, there is so much decision avoidance. It's crazy here. That is, uh, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Some things need to be decided, but other things are being decided just for the sake of making a decision. Mm. Yeah. But mostly people just want to avoid being held responsible, I think. That's something different. Uh, you're making a gross generalization as well, but I, uh, mm. I'm mm. going to agree yeah. with you too. <laughs> Thank you, James. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Something in your book, uh, well, something I agree with, is you have your best ideas in the showers and you need to be comfortable. Yeah. And you also have to say something about you can solve most problems in just a couple of days if the environment is right. Yes. That's nice. I'm a very <laughs> optimistic person yeah. in that sense. And I like that because I've heard a lot lately about dismissing that you need 10,000 hours of experience to do to be good at something. And mm. maybe you can be good at something in 40 hours, but also solving problems and the the things that go into that. And you're talking about how people sometimes go in and sit in these beanbags and have funny hats on to get creative. Yeah. And, and usually it's not about that. It's usually about just no. sitting down and actually <laughs> trying to focus on yeah. the behavior of the people again as we as just going back full circle around what we've been talking about today. It's yeah, being honest about what's happening. Right. Mm. Yeah. Not letting yourself mm. be fooled mm. by, you could say, what is not really... The beanbag and the funny yeah. hat. Mm. 
Yeah, well, and that, well, that's just moderator's tricks, I guess, yeah. and uh, lining up people in mm. the color of their underwear. I mean, it just makes <laughs> things, no, but it, it makes people feel uncomfortable. Mm. How are you going to <laughs> hope? That, that it w- yeah. But it, they, again, there, there are, of course, very say important elements to say mm. collaborative creativity, and mm-hmm. what do you do to make people work together in a productive way? Mm. Uh, but that has nothing to do with with beanbags. Yeah, <laughs> that's more about how do you lead a discussion and make mm. sure that you stay on topic and that people mm. don't mm. let their egos get in the mm. way. Um, yeah. And so what you're saying, basically, it's not the tool, it's the person who's leading the group. In the end. Yeah. Well, the pe- person mm. leading the group or the group dynamic. Yeah, um, right. That's an, it's, a, it's an essential part. Mm. Um, and it's I mean, pressure cookers <laughs> or sort of trying to indeed squeeze an idea out mm. in a very, very short amount of time. Mm. There is just a limit to what that can bring. And very often it's also a, a false impression people have because if you actually achieve a success within two or three hours, mm. that's probably because the problem has already been simmering in the background and people mm. have actually been thinking about it for maybe for years. <laughs> so you've, ju- you've just lifted it to the surface. And all, the yeah, and all it's more sort of releasing mm. it uh, and creating a safe environment yeah. for people to share it. Um, yeah. yeah. Excellent. That's, that's true. I like in one of the well, say one of the ones that made me laugh on the book this morning when I was coming in was the um, 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 Einstein didn't need um, Einstein quotes for inspiration. Yeah, stop about the Einstein quotes. <laughs> <laughs> um, Facebook is full of them. I get so depressed by people <laughs> continuously quoting other people. Mm. I mean, it's fun. Don't get me wrong. It's nice to have a retweet every now and then. But it's, <laughs> oh, I'm going to be <laughs> quoting you now a lot. So <laughs> no, but put your own thought in. I mean, turn it into. Otherwise, you're just parroting someone else and channeling through. Mm. I hope it makes you smile, but then tweet yeah. your own stuff. I'll, I'll <laughs> change the words around. Yeah. <laughs> Claim copyright. Yeah. Yeah. Innovate. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I think that's a good note to end on, actually. Uh, we're going to have to let you go. You're One thing I'd say. Um, oh, yeah. Mm. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. And um, before we go, though, I just mm. wanted to mention um, the Philippines. Yes. Good. Um, that um, well, we we have a podcast transcribed, um, and it's by um, a, a lady that uh, works in from the Philippines. Yeah, and of course they they were affected by the um, um, the tino- tornado or cyclone. Exactly. It was um, the other week, um, and it, oh, it became a really surreal moment because we had orders for transcripts mm. that were waiting, and um, um, oh, I kind of thought, oh God, I mean, what's happened? I mean, mm. we have no idea if well is alive or not yeah. in this so I kind of sent a message off asking well mm. are you okay is everything okay and thankfully she was okay but yeah. um, um, implied that oh, there was not everyone was okay mm. of course mm. that she knew um, but I asked her as well for um, a tip about um, well how can we donate how can yeah. we help because we, we know that there's so many organizations out there and um, they're um, we hear lots of complaints about it being inefficient, money disappearing on admin and so on and so on. So I thought, oh, yeah, mm. we'll ask someone in the country mm. what do they think is a good mm. well, good route to send money via. Um, so she um, um, she sent me some details, which I'm just going to pull up. Um, I'll link this from the show notes. Yeah. Um, but um, uh, Prex's recommendation was to, uh, if you want to donate money to help the Philippines, um, then it's um, ABSCBN Foundation. Is the um, uh, humanitarian relief organization? Mm. Um, and it's a particular. There's a particular strand of that organization that deals in mm. disasters and so on. But I'll put the link in the um, mm. in the show notes, or you can Google it um, and see if you can find the bank account details to transfer some mm. money across. Great. Our thoughts are with them. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, thank you for listening. Remember. And remember. Oh, another thing. Adding on the end now as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we're on um, Stitcher. 
We're on Stitcher now as well, right? right. So lots and of new channels for you to... Yeah, Stitcher, if you, it's, a, it's an app for podcasts um, yeah. that you can download from um, iTunes and from um, um, Play Store. And I've actually discovered a lot of new podcasts it's using Stitcher, and that's one of the benefits it's a, of it's it. A, it's yeah. a really good little app. Mm. Um, and hopefully in the next couple of weeks, we'll be on Spotify as well. Ooh, I didn't know if you wanted to mention that, but that's pretty cool. As well. I'm yeah. going to gamble and risk <laughs> it and see whether it happens. It's a very strange process getting mm. on Spotify, mm. but um, yeah. So, thank you for listening. And yeah, remember to keep moving. See you on the other side. You've been listening to UX Podcast with James Royal Lawson and Pear Axeboom. Visit uxpodcast.com for more episodes and to subscribe to the show. UX Podcast, moving the conversation beyond UX. Thank you.